good to see everybody here uh, today. I know most of y'all survived the Garth Brooks concert last night. Bart Holmes and Daniel Crumley love Garth Brooks. Love Garth Brooks. Calling Baton Rouge is their favorite song as LSU fans. They love that song. All right. Matthew chapter number 25. If you got a Bible, turn there with me. With everything that we've had going on in the service today, baptism and honoring Mr. Jerry McCoy and, uh, and singing three songs, uh, we're running uh, a little long on time at this point. So uh, I told Powers, we talked about the service this past week, and I said, Powers, that means that I have to cut sermon notes. And he laughed and he said, fat chance that's happening. So <laughs> let's jump into this really quick. We're really kind of in between sermon series right now. And, and coming up, I want to begin to preach a series on conversations with Jesus, where Jesus meets certain people and have conversations with those people, people like you and me. In July, I want us to focus on the church and who we are and who we're supposed to be and begin to gear our thoughts and our hearts toward uh, taking communion together, taking the Lord's Supper together in August. And so that gives a little bit of the summer of where we're headed. And so you'll hear more about those things. But in August, uh, I really want you guys to be here to take the Lord's Supper together, for our families to take the Lord's Supper together uh, I'm so excited to see Emma baptized this morning, excited to see her family here, and uh, you get to take the Lord's Supper in August with your church family, <clears throat> and that's a big deal uh, to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, Drew, it seems like yesterday that I was student pastor here, and you were coming to church here in the student ministry days, and in my mind, you're still like in middle school, and I'm still like 22 and so, uh, but that's not it anymore. You, you still have your hair. I don't. Uh, and, uh, and you still look young and I don't anymore, but it's crazy, man. Y'all, uh, uh, you and Heather here and, and baptizing y'all's teenager. It's just time has just flown by. So uh, we give God praise for that. Uh, having said that, Matthew chapter number 25, I want to preach and deal with a passage this morning that really comes uh, off the tail end of our Sunday school series. If you come to Sunday school uh, here at Union Hill, and, and we're glad that you do. It's, uh, I look back in the time in my life uh, and, and, and say, how, how have I grown? Uh, there's been thousands of things, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people that have poured into me, uh, into my life, uh, that I have grown in the faith with. And my Sunday school teachers uh, from back in the day uh, are, are just as important as anybody in my life. I'll never forget Miss Brenda Hickey, and I got to move quick, but Miss Brenda Hickey, she still goes to Concord Baptist Church, grew up Church of the Nazarene, never cut her hair. She still puts it up in a bun. And uh, she taught me, I don't know, second, third grade Sunday school and just invested into my life. And I'm so thankful for Miss Brenda. I used to say, please, Miss Brenda, wear your hair down to church. And she never would. She would just smile. And uh, she was so filled with the joy of the Lord. And I'm so thankful for her. But she is one of many that poured into me during Sunday school. If you are here and you have children and they're not in Sunday school, I, my only prayer for you is that the hour of teaching that, that your children aren't getting here at church from wonderful children's teachers, wonderful children's teachers, the hour that you're not bringing your kids to church in Sunday school 
My prayer is, and you're the only one as a parent who can answer this, are you replacing that hour in your household? I hope you're replacing it far more than with just an hour. But if you're like the Stevens household, uh, who don't have it all together, uh, there are some weeks we're good just to pray at the dinner table. Can I just say that on a Sunday morning, that the Stevens family aren't that spiritual at home a lot of the times, and we need to be. And so my prayer is for you, if you're not bringing your kids to the hour a week of Sunday school, that teachers here prepare to teach your children that you're replacing that in your household. In fact, it's really not the church's job to disciple your children. It's your job. And so our prayer is that we can help you in any way in that discipleship process. This sermon comes off the tail end of Sunday school. For six weeks, we dealt with the return of Jesus. Thank you, man. We, we dealt with the return of Jesus. I said just about everything that I know in those six weeks about the return of Jesus. And, uh, and I got to be honest, coming to you, I, I don't preach about Christ's return a lot because there's a lot of questions for me. And, and I don't really get bogged down in a lot of confusion. And, and so there's a lot, of, a lot of Christian debate on such texts that we're going to deal with and, and, and what camp you fall in and fall under. And if you've been in my Sunday school class, you'll know that this really kind of gives me a headache. So I'm really stepping out into an area that, uh, that, that's, a, that's a tad unfamiliar uh, other than the fact that Jesus is coming back. Amen. He is. Jesus teaches about his second coming in Matthew 24 and 25. It's one of the, it's one of the promises uh, it's a wonderful promise to think about that's deeply embedded within our faith. One of the latest predictions that I've seen for the return of Christ is in 2024 by a group called the Unsealed World News. I just did a quick Google search about predictions about when Jesus is coming back, and I saw that one. Date setters always fascinate me. I always wonder what they do when the date comes and goes and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Uh, hanging their hats on specific signs or key verses. Meanwhile, Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36, no one knows about the time, the day, or the hour, not even the angels in heaven or, or the Son of Man, but only the Father knows about such times. And, and, and in case we miss that about trying to set dates and times, uh, again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, we are told that, that uh, Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times and the dates, but the Father has set by his own authority these times and these dates. And so this is a, uh, this is a sermon today that I, I really want us to think about in terms of, of, uh, of, 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 of a world that says that's skeptic of Jesus returning. To let these things creep into our minds about skepticism and our own thinking. I know the sensationalist and far out interpretations of this doctrine. I also know, and I've sat in these classes of academic interpretations, uh, liberal academia, which would dismiss such promises from Jesus that he really even said these things, that these are later on thought processes that were, have filtered their way into the Bible, and so we need to dismiss such things. But, but even in the earliest teachings, and you could see the teachings of the disciples into the New Testament, that the promise 
that Jesus will return is a cornerstone doctrine for the church. The second coming of Christ has been the promise that has kept the church together through difficult times to persevere through those times. The promise of Jesus returning has kept the church together through sinful times. The promise of Jesus returning has really kept me in my ministry to hold firm in my ministry. Even in a fallen world that screams for justice about everything, for justice, even in a fallen world that screams for justice, the desire to see justice, the return of Christ has ultimately been our help and our peace for justice long term. In fact, I, I, I really, uh, uh, I'm really baffled by the idea of someone that doesn't believe in Jesus at all but desires justice. If you don't believe in God, where is your justice ever going to come from? Government? Are, are, are you kidding me? Right? And so... The return of Christ lets me lay my head on the pillow knowing that men are sinful leading uh, the schemes and the, the patterns of this world and I know that Christ will return and he will uh, give judgment where judgment is due. John 14 verses 1 through 3, Jesus once again talks about his return to a bunch of disciples who are troubled in their spirit. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And so Jesus gives this return in John 14, uh, verses 1 through 3. He's very pastoral in his uh, thought processes about his return. Pastoral. It means that it should comfort our soul that it should give us joy, that it should be the balm of Gilead, that it should be the ointment to our wounds. The return of Christ. Mike, are you a sign interpreter? No. And if you're a sign interpreter and that bothers you that I'm not a sign interpreter, I guess we just have to love one another and eat lunch together and deal with it because I'm just not a sign interpreter. Sometimes I think it's confusing. How many marks of the beast are out there? Seems like everybody's got a different mark of the beast. I, I'm, I'm not into interpreting all of that. It confuses me. It confuses the world. But I do take much joy in knowing Jesus will come again. Mike, should we, this has been asked of me before, should we cash in our 401ks now because Jesus is coming back and give our money to the poor? Only if the Holy Spirit tells you to do that. If the Holy Spirit tells you to cash in your 401k and give to the poor, then you be obedient to what the Holy Spirit says in your soul. If you want to cash in your 401k and sink all that money into toilet paper and Campbell's soup so somehow you will beat the system, I will tell you that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the return of Christ, the promise of the return of Christ is not meant to bring fear into heart of any believer. It's meant to bring joy but it is meant to bring fear for the one that's not right with God. 
The Old Testament talks about the great and horrible day, the judgment day of the Lord. It will be great for believers, but it will be horrible for unbelievers. Let's look at what this text in Matthew 25 says briefly. Let's read it. Uh, Can we put this on the screen? Listen to what Jesus speaks in Matthew 25. Coming off the tail end of Matthew chapter 24, one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to interpret, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. For the longest, I grew up thinking that the bridegroom was going to pick his bride out of the ten virgins. That's not the text at all. I know that sounds weird, but in a day and a of polygamy, that's kind of where I thought this was going. That's not it at all. Don't get hung up on the word virgins there. They are young girls. Young girls haven't been married yet, and they are bridesmaids in this wedding. That's what this text is about. Five of the bridesmaids were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, and they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. When all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go out to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. It's a wonderful phrase there. It's a scary phrase. The door was shut. It's very interesting to me that in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus deals with Noah, that it will be like the days of Noah. That same phrase, the door was shut, is used in the book of Genesis to describe the ark. The door was shut by the Lord. It's interesting. The door was shut. Those who were in were safe. Those who were out couldn't get in after the door was shut. Verse 11, afterward the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. And Jesus gives the commentary on the story. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus uses the wedding illustration to compare what the kingdom of heaven is like. The return of Jesus will be like the groom, Jesus, showing up to receive his bride. Now, there are other texts that we could look at to talk about the church being the bride of Christ. That's not the illustration used here. Somebody says, well, who is Jesus, the groom marrying? That's not the point of the story. The bridesmaids represent people People that are invited to the wedding. People that are a part of the wedding. There are other illustrations that are used. We were in Sunday school class. Jeff Coven was the one that asked the question. It's a very great question. I thought we were the bride. Why is that not being used here? It's just not the illustration that Jesus chooses to use. That thought process is in other texts of the Bible. It's just not here. We are the bridesmaids. The question is, are we foolish bridesmaids or are we wise bridesmaids? Don't let the word virgin throw you off. These were bridesmaids, okay? Just like four other illustrations already used in Matthew 24, this has the same point. There's really one point to the text. Here's the text, the point of the text. The coming of Jesus will be a surprise. That's the point. 
We do not know the day. We do not know the hour. There are other illustrations used, particularly in the last uh, chapter of the Bible, to talk about Christ coming back. One of them is like a thief in the night. If you knew when the thief was coming, you'd sit up and be ready, but you don't. That's why it's a surprise. Jesus will come back, and it will be a surprise. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. People will not be ready. But hear me. People will not be ready, not because they didn't have enough time to be ready, but because they put off preparation thinking that they have plenty of time to get ready. But the text is saying that the people fall asleep. Now, I just want to pause right here and say this. Our God never sleeps nor slumbers. Jesus takes a nap in a boat. But even while he's sleeping, he rests knowing that everything around him is under his control. The Bible says God neither sleeps nor slumbers. God takes on the night shift. And he always has and he always will. Five of the bridesmaids, I think, sleep in peace. If you're a believer in the house, you can lay your head on the pillow at night. If you're an anxious person, take your anxiety to Jesus. He can deal with it. Five of the bridesmaids sleep in peace because they've prepared for the groom to come. Five foolish bridesmaids sleep in laziness because they're not prepared. They had plenty of time. The bridesmaids, let's talk about them just for a minute. Verse 2 says that five were wise, five were foolish. Verses 3 and 4 explain why five are wise and five are foolish. Five were wise because they, uh, they uh, um, uh, stored up enough, enough oil for the upcoming wedding. Five were foolish because they did not buy enough oil for the wedding. This is how the wedding would work. I skipped some notes here. This is how the wedding would work. There are three components to a Jewish wedding. Are you ready? The wedding in in traditional Judaism during this time in first century Palestine, the wedding looked different from our culture in many ways. First of all, there were three components. You had the engagement. Long before the party, uh, the wedding party was thrown and the, the vows were given, the Jewish custom was for fathers to get together and betroth or put into contract, my son, your daughter, my daughter, your son. And from a father's perspective with little ones, I'm not sure that's really a bad custom. Can we go back to that? As much craziness as that in the world, good grief, Sawyer. Be careful who you marry. In fact, the three greatest uh, decisions in your life have to do, if you're in this area, listen to me, the three greatest decisions of your life have to do with this. You ready? Who you choose to marry, who you choose to be your friends, and who you choose as far as who your God is and have a relationship with him. All of them have to do with the relationship, right? Can we pick and choose who our kids marry based on? On how good families are, I, I almost wish we could. It doesn't work like that in America, but it did during this time. And so fathers got together and they arranged things. That was the engagement when kids were kids. And then the time would come where now the two would grow up and they would be betrothed. So they would actually get together, man and woman would get together, and they would give one another uh, vows. They would exchange promises to one another. 
And it was then during this betrothal, you see this actually with Mary and Joseph, by the way. They were betrothed to be married, right? And so you see this. And so this betrothal period could last for a year. So it would be like our engagement. And during this year's time, future husband and future wife would not live together. I know that's a shocker in today's culture. Can't we test drive our relationship out before we get married? You certainly can, and you certainly can move in together. It's just not biblical. It's just not God's way. So God has always, from day one, created man, created woman to be together. And when they're together, when they're intimate together, that is meant for marriage. Take intimacy outside of marriage in any, take intimacy outside of biblical marriage in any shape, form, or fashion. And guess what happens? Our lives burn. It's outside the guidelines of, of where God wants us to be. Mike, you're telling me I'm a grown person. I've lived life, and now I'm an adult, and this person's an adult, and we want to be together, and maybe one day down the line we'll get married. But for right now, we just want to make sure that, that we're compatible with one another, and can't we live together? Can't we do that? You certainly can. It's just not right with God. And when you begin to ask God and bring God into a relationship where you're outside of God's law already, what, what are you asking God to do? Bless sin? Is that what we're asking God to do? Because that, that's legitimately what, what happens in the South. Let's live together. Let's sleep in the same bed. Let's do everything that married people do. Let's just not seal the deal. Let, let's, let's, not, let's not cash in all my chips and throw them all out there. And let's say at the end of the day, if, if the relationship doesn't work, then, then I've lost everything right here. If the relationship doesn't work, then I've lost everything. However, if we just live together and we decide to break it off, I ain't lost nothing. I'll take my chips, you take your chips, let's go to the house. I, I'll, we'll just separate this thing. The betrothal was a year's engagement, a year's time. And during that time, the groom would be getting the house ready. He'd be setting up shop. He would be nesting, which I think is pretty interesting because normally that's the woman's job. And so I'm sure knowing women, she probably visited wherever that house was and says, no, 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 no. The deer head ain't going right there. I'm sure she said that. I'm sure she said that. If during the betrothal time, one of them looked at one another and said, hey, I'm done. I'm out of this thing. Then that was to be considered divorce. If someone cheated on one another, that was grounds for divorce. And so you can see the dilemma that Joseph is in when Mary gets pregnant during the betrothal time. And so during that year's time when the groom finished up the house, wherever that would be, it could be another room, another section of the house where his dad lived. It could be a whole other place where they lived. But during that time when the, when the place was finished, the groom would show up. And, and, and it was around a year. You didn't know when it was going to be. The bride didn't know when the groom was coming. It could be a little longer than a year. It could be a little less than a year. And so she waited in anticipation for her husband to come for the third part of the Jewish wedding, which was the wedding party, the celebration, the time when the town would come together and celebrate. And it was wonderful. You can see this in John chapter 2 when Jesus turns the water into wine. 
It was a wonderful, wonderful celebration. And all the town would show up and take part and celebrate. And it would just be absolutely glorious. But until that time came, the bride waited in anticipation. And here in the story in Matthew 25, Jesus includes the bridesmaids that are in waiting. And so the groom would show up and he would show up unannounced. In our text, he shows up at midnight and he gathers up the wedding party. And they begin to take their torches down through the streets. And you would have saved up, the bridesmaids would have saved up enough oil to last the whole night into the morning. But five of the bridesmaids were foolish. They had a whole year to prepare and they didn't do it. Verse 6, when the groom shows up at midnight in surprise, the bridesmaids who are foolish go to scrambling. They want to borrow some oil from their friends, but they're turned away because then all the oil would run out and nobody would have enough light. And so the five wise bridesmaids, probably cousins and sisters and nieces and all of them there together. They're probably related to one another, you know, in this particular scenario. It's a made-up scenario that Jesus is throwing out here, but they're probably related to one another. And so five of them look at potentially their family members and say, I don't have enough for you. Hurry, go buy some really quick. The bridesmaids represent the church in this text. There are those in the church who have made preparations for the return of Jesus. But then there are foolish people within the church who have not made those preparations. Those that are affiliated with the church who have have heard the news that the groom is coming and have received the invite to be a part of this, but they didn't prepare for it. This is a message that we've seen Jesus teach over and over again. We we see him use different illustrations. Last week, we saw him use the illustration of the branch in the vine that bears fruit versus the branch in the vine that doesn't bear fruit. And so Jesus uses this illustration, this, this, this idea in his illustrations over and over again. There's another great illustration of wheat and weeds being planted together. And someone asks him, do you want to go through the wheat field and pluck up all the weeds. Jesus says, no, let them all grow together and then we'll harvest it and sort it out at the end. What is that? They are people affiliated and it looks like they are attached to the body. Watch this. And may even receive blessings from the body of Christ, but they're never true believers. They're never truly in the vine. They never received their life from the vine. These bridesmaids, the five foolish, they never prepared. Notice that the foolish try to rely on the wise, verses 7 through 9, and they get turned down. Hey, quick, hurry, go buy some oil really quick. We we can't give you any of ours. We won't have enough oil for our torch, our lamp, to last the night. Go buy some really quickly. But please hear me. (laughs) Hear me quick. Spiritual preparation is always individualistic. It's always personal. You cannot rely on the oil of another believer to get you through the night. You have to have the oil within your own life to get you through the night. 
I can't get into heaven because mama loves me. I can't get into heaven because mama loves Jesus. The text doesn't say this, but I wonder how sad were the wise women over their potential family members not being able to come to the wedding. It doesn't say it, but I wonder about it. I wonder if they kept telling their family members and friends over the course of that year, you better be get ready. You better get your life ready. We don't know when the groom's coming. And every time they would put them off, the five unwise, put them off, put them off, put them off until the day came and it was too late. This past week, I preached a funeral for Eric Kilgore. I don't know if Jamie is here this morning. Jamie has grieved. I don't know if she's keeping children in our preschool department. I want to talk about a sacrifice of praise when I look at Jamie worshiping to in Christ alone uh, at the funeral of her 45-year-old husband this past Thursday night. That's called a sacrifice of praise according to Hebrews chapter 13. It's the fruit of living in the Spirit, by the way, a sacrifice of praise. Eric Kilgore was 45 years old. No one, no one, no one, no one would have guessed, not even him, that last week or a week and a half ago, there would be, or two weeks ago, there would have been a day where his name would have gotten called and his life would have been cut short. And I praise God that Eric Kilgore had his heart ready for Jesus. You may be here today and you may have great church attendance and you and I both know that your heart is not right with God. The Lord knows that and you are putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. You are not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised the next five minutes. I've been in a church service where somebody died in it. I have. My last church. They had a heart attack right there. Right there, Industrial City Baptist Church. Boom, right there, died. Do we got any firemen in here? Would you raise your hand if you're a fireman? We got one over here. We got one over here. Have y'all ever ran on somebody in a church service? You ever ran on somebody in church service? Please hear me. You are not promised the next minute. And to think that you can hear the gospel and put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off because you think, I will settle that down the line somewhere. You do not know when the groom is coming. I look at this in relationship to my kids. Uh, I wish, in some ways, I wish that my faith could be my children's faith. But then in a lot of ways, I don't because I want their faith to be way greater than their daddy's faith. But my faith cannot stand in the gap for my children. What if I'm preparing my children to do everything? Everything in the world, but I'm not preparing my kids to meet Jesus. What a lousy parent I would be. You know what I'm teaching Sam right now? I'm teaching Sam right now, uh, throwing in the backyard. I'm teaching Sam right now that he doesn't have to swing at every pitch. So I'll do some crazy pitches like way over his head. And, and like last week, two weeks ago, he would swing at him. I'd be like, well, dude, what are you doing? There ain't no way you can hit that ball. And he'd just laugh at me. And then I would like throw and like almost roll it on the ground. And like he'd swing at it two, three weeks ago. I'm like, what are you doing? That ball, you can't even hit that ball. Now you know what he's doing? He's laying off all those crazy pitches. What if I teach my child 
to lay off stupid, crazy baseball pitches, but I never tell him about Jesus and what Jesus means in my heart. Mama can tell him because Christianity is a girly faith. It's for little kids and women. It ain't for men. That's garbage. These men in the text gave their life for Christ. And you're telling me you're too manly to tell your own child about what Jesus means in your heart? Grow up and get some intestinal fortitude. And I want to say something completely different right there. (laughs) We're men about everything until we... I can't pray with my own family because I'm scared of what they'll think about me. We prepare our children for everything, everything, everything. How would we not prepare them to meet Jesus? But at the end of the day, even our children have to own it. I can't get my children into heaven. They have to own that. It's got to be a personal decision. Want to hear something that's not being said in progressive Christianity? Y'all know what progressive Christianity is? Liberal Christianity. And you know what you don't hear in progressive Christianity anymore? You You ready for this? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you don't, you will spend eternity in hell. We need to know Jesus and prepare our heart to meet Christ one day. The oil. And I say oil so I don't sound like oil. The oil. Hard to say exactly what it is. Jesus doesn't define it. I'll just ask the question since Jesus doesn't define it. Could the oil be an image for the Holy Spirit? This is the problem with texts like this. Sometimes you get into crazy interpretations because somebody will say, well, if the, if the Bible says it's a, the Holy Spirit, if that's what you're saying, Mike, then the five foolish versions, they had a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't that enough? Yeah, I think the illustration would break down there. doesn't really work. But I am asking the question, could the oil be the Holy Spirit? So watch this. So that a man... Or a woman must be filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit in order to make it into the wedding. I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Just a thought. Uh, We just want a little bit of the Holy Spirit. We just want enough God that it would change my Sunday, but not enough God that it would actually change my Monday or my Friday night. When you're filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life, that's how Christians live. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of the flesh. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we look different, we act different, we talk different, we think different. God uses us for his glory. I'm just asking the question. Maybe, maybe these five foolish bridesmaids, uh, uh, maybe they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. The warning of the text the warning of the text is the door shut. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. That there'll come a day where it's too late. I know we like God to be filled with grace and mercy, and he is filled with grace and mercy. But maybe the grace and mercy he's offering you comes with a limitation. That There may come a point in time where you Don't ever hear it ever again. Noah preached for a hundred years. Those people had a hundred years to hear the gospel. And only Noah and his family got saved. 
The warning is this. If you're not prepared to meet God, you don't know when that will happen. So get prepared. I'm going to invite Powers and the team up to lead us in a time of worship. I have one last screen. Can we put this up here on the screen? The very last one. So what do we do now with this? What do we do now to prepare? Well, if you're in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 and 9, you prepare with the return of Christ by telling others. But we're not in Acts chapter 7, chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9. We're in this text. And I think from this text, what we do to prepare, because you see verse 13, Jesus says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I really think from this text, keeping watch, preparation, really means this. God... Give me enough oil to wait. Powers and I were talking about this particular text before the worship service is, uh, was here, and it brought to mind a little, little jingle theme song, Christian kids song in his mind that he used to sing in a Methodist church. Powers, will you sing that just a second? What, how did it go? I know it's weird. Just bring it out. <laughs> Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning. Keep it burning till the break of day. I think to prepare ourselves is an examination of our lives to see if we got enough oil. And I don't know about you, but I know myself. And I'm really not that good. I need God to fill up the container of my life with the oil. If it's the Holy Spirit, if that's what the oil is in the text, then Holy Spirit, fill me up to the brim so that I can wait in perseverance with all of the garbage that I see in this world God, let me wait and prepare for the day that I see you. Because there's coming a day when Jesus will return. The return of Christ, that's what will keep you going back to a job that you hate. The return of Christ will keep you going back to things in your life that aren't right. It's the return of Christ. It's the return of Christ. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I love being married to my wife. I enjoy it. We have our ups and we have our downs and we have our arguments. and We try to listen to one another. You know what keeps me going back to my wife? Really ain't Aaron. It's the return of Jesus because I made a vow to him. I want to try to keep that. The return of Christ, the idea that I will see him one day. What do we do to prepare? We examine the inside. God, give me oil in my lamp. Fill me up. If you're here today and you've never called on Jesus, you've never prepared, today's your day. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Maybe you're here today and you're like me. God, give me enough oil to keep me through the night. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe you're a believer, but you're calling out, God help me, God help me, God help me. 
God will help you. The Lord is my help. I look into the hills where my help comes from. The help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The hills don't help me, but the one who made the hills, he's who helps me. Call on the name of the Lord. Father God, will you bless this time of invitation? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.